Adventures in a Small World. in a small world. Today we have a conversation with Jason Jang. He started his first career post-university as a web developer. After about 10 years in the field, he came to the conclusion that he did not quite fit in with the rest of the software developers he was working with. He decided to quit his job from the software company. He decided to take some time away from everything to figure out what he was passionate about. That came down to helping other people and solving difficult problems, which leads into his second career, which is acupuncture. Jason shares his journey from web development to acupuncture, and we cover many topics such as his life philosophy, Bruce Lee, music, martial arts, and many, many other topics. So with that introduction, let's dive right in. Today we got Jason on the podcast, and um, we're going to find out a little bit about his story, and um, why don't we dive right in with a little bit about who you are? Sure. Um, so, <laughs> where to even begin? Uh, I live in Toronto. <laughs> I'm a, uh, a student of acupuncture right now, studying Chinese medicine, um, about a year and a half into my program. Uh, being 36, this is my second career, uh, if you will. I spent the last, the greater part of the last 10 years uh, in web development, doing uh, basically being a, a programmer, mostly web developer, but also software development, both in a freelance capacity, but also working at software companies and marketing companies, doing work for them. Uh, on the side, I also I'm a musician as well, so I play quite a bit of music, and uh, had jobs here and there, working in kitchens, working physiotherapy clinics, and and such. Uh, grew up just north of the city, uh, north of Toronto rather, uh, in the suburbs, uh, where my parents owned a convenience store. Spent a lot, quite a bit of time there. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. What, more can say about that. Yeah, that's good. That's cool. Sounds like you have a pretty cool journey. Yeah, for so, sure. Yeah, it's a journey. <laughs> it always is. So you said um, you started off, I'm guessing, out of school, and you started doing your programming or web development. Yeah, it was actually, so in school, I went to school for, uh, I went to business school studying IT management, and within that program there were some programming courses but it was mostly like business management and change management and HR type of things and you know all that stuff basically training people to be like management consultants basically um, I was done school and I was like I don't I don't want to do any of this so um, actually I spent right, right out of school I spent three years abroad living in South Korea which my parents are Korean as well so I had never been there prior but going there to teach English and I set out to go there for one year, ended up staying for three. And that was like a pretty, I would say, a, a pretty uh, important time in my life. Uh, grow, growing up and, you know, stuff like that. That's so, cool. So were you living on your own in Korea or were you with like a family? No, or? living on my own. Um, 
typical contracts for working in schools in Korea, they set you up with an apartment. Sometimes they set you up with a car, depending where you are. Um, yeah, so I had my own place. Turned out actually that I uh, ended up uh, by a happy coincidence in my mom's hometown, so I had family really close by, which was pretty cool. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, and so then it was during uh, my undergraduate years and while I was in Korea that I was kind of starting my web development stuff. And in the beginning, it started off just kind of like, oh, this is interesting to me. Uh, in university, I, I did a little bit of work here and there. And in, and while I was in Korea, I did a little bit of web development work. Um, so that was like 2005, between 2005, 2008. So kind of like, just like honing those skills a little bit without really intending to end up in that business as a career. But when I got back, it was kind of like, oh yeah, I have these skills now. I can use these to make a little money. And it ended up kind of just being my uh, my career for the next 10 years. Wow. So did you take any classes on that? How did you develop your skills to in web development? Um, in school, we had some pretty minor, minor courses um, that uh, I think I wasn't even ready to take those courses yet. So like um, some, a, few, a few things that were like <clears throat> much bigger conceptually, like object-oriented programming and and client server applications, shit that I was like, I was, I wasn't gonna start w- touching again for another maybe seven, eight years. I was kind of learning the principles of in school, because um, it was more like you, be, you need to be able to talk this language, you need to understand the benefits of these, of these tools. But I wasn't really in the nitty gritty, and then, but um, I, uh, I was more just interested in like making stuff online that people could see. You know, it was like the weird time of the internet where things weren't standardized yet, you know? Mm. It was like that middle middle period between, like, GeoCities of the 90s and, like, uh, uh, web standards of the 2010s where everything kind of looks the same. We not, You know, we don't really design for the web anymore. You just kind of, like, assemble pieces, you know? Right, I mean? right. Um, but, like, in that, in that interim period, I was making some weird shit online, and then um, eventually, like, I had a friend in school who... You know, undergrad already had an established web development business relatively, you know, she was a freelancer, but she had a bit of work that she could like pawn off onto me, mm. uh, uh, both because I'd be cheaper for their, for her client. Like the client was looking for someone, you know, cheaper, I guess. And I, um, and I was looking for experience. And so I had like, I don't know, maybe between like four to six little gigs, um, throughout those years. And then like one, like, pretty substantial project while I was living in Korea, all working remotely, all working just on my own, um, corresponding by email, you know? Mm. And so it was really just trial by fire, uh, which turned out to be like the main way that I learned how to develop, um, uh, was just, just like, here's, I knew what my goal was. And like the question mark was just like, how do I do that? And so, you know, one of the things you get really good at is like, how do you actually Google that thing? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes the difference between you and the answer is just like, how do I articulate the thing that I need? Um, and sometimes that's like the hardest thing. Like I, when I was working at a software company um, and the newbies would come in and they'd be like, oh, how do I do this thing? And like, like oh, you're like, you're like on the right track. You just need to like change the wording of your Google search. Now you've got it. You know? Right, right. Yeah. That's cool. 
So you said you did most of your work remotely. Did you find that hard or was it nice mm. being remote? I, uh, at the time it was like, I had never worked at a company doing that kind of work anyway. So it was like <clears throat> the only way I had done it that, uh, thus far, um, these days it's my preference. Um, I still, I mean, I still do web development on the side while I'm in school and it's all strictly remote work. Um, I did a few years at a software company and a few years here and there at marketing companies. Um, at different ta- at different stages in the last in the last ten years, but uh, I think I largely prefer to work on my own. It has its caveats, you know. Like it really depends on the client. Even if the client uh, is communicative enough and can articulate to you, you know, uh, in a sound manner what they need, you know, some people like I have some clients that are that aren't that great at telling me what they need. Like, you know, it's always an email exchange of four or five back and forths before we finally establish what the actual task is they want me to do. Whereas I do have some clients where they're like, you know, they send me one email and I literally just send the work back. Yeah, that's nice. Um, You know, and so like there is that and there is a degree to even just training my clients. You know, I have the clients come on board. I'm like, well, here's a way that I think we can interface with each other that will be uh very effective in getting this kind of work done. And then, and oftentimes they'll be like, oh, great, because I have no idea how to manage this kind of thing. At this very moment, I, most, of my, most of my clients are nonprofits, and so whether I'm dealing with, like, high turnover rates or, or and so like have, always having new pe- people that I liaison with or um, the people that I liaison with, uh, you know, have minor experience in web technology like they you know they have some it's always a varying sure. amount um i've uh, i think part of my my business offering as a freelance web developer is being able to bridge that gap these days i feel like it's less about my skills specifically and more about like are you the guy who's going to be able to help me you know are you going to be able to speak to me email me um, you know, parse out tasks to me. Are you going to be the guy who can uh, actually pull that off rather than like, do you know this language or do you know right. the language, you know? Because the technical problems <clears throat> almost always can be solved. Um, there's very rarely a, a, a technical issue where it's like, you know, I might flag a thing early on and I'd be like, oh, that's, that's going to be too expensive or like that doesn't make sense. But for the most part, the the difficulty is... Um, interfacing with the client and and talking to them and and then you know especially when it's like grind time like the project's gonna launch it's like there's always like three dozen little m- minor details that all need to be fixed and like that could either be like really clean emails back and forth or that's gonna be just a freaking <laughs> gong show and so usually <clears throat> usually I take those moments by the horns and like okay this is how we're going to or I've learned to rather. Uh, you know, early before we uh, get too deep into that stage, uh, establish the manner in which we're going to like report bugs. So I'll be like, I'll set up a Google sheet and like here, you know, for each line, describe the issue, tell me the URL, tell me what browser you're using, et cetera, et cetera. That way I never have to be like, you know, like, oh, okay, that I see the issue you sent me, but can I have a screenshot or can I have this? You know, you know, the need you're spending 20 bugs turn into a hundred yeah. emails you know, rather than 20 bugs or just 20 emails. That's cool. That must have taken a long time to refine that process. Oh, for sure. 
Um, and a, a big part of it had to do with working at a software mm. company who, like, um, you know, this was a place that had 150 people, 300 by the time I left, and they had uh, 40 web developers, uh, 40 uh, software developers, and 80 by the time yeah. I left. And when you work in an operation that big, you work in something called, um, shoot, what's it called? Um, oh, wow, it hasn't been that long. <clears throat> it's like a variation of Kanban. Oh, Jira? Uh, yeah, like Jira kind of stuff. Uh, but what is that uh, process called? Not waterfall, it's... Agile? Agile. You got it. Nice. So working in, working in an agile environment has helped me um, get good at chunking big tasks into smaller tasks. And that's totally affected like my whole life, to be perfectly honest. Whether it's like, you know, preparing a huge meal. I love to cook, so like preparing a huge meal is like, you know, I'm not really thinking in a agile way per se, but the ability to break down tasks and like prioritize and and then cue them as I need to is something I integrate into all the things that I do. Whether it's, um, you know, working with clients and I, I set them up in Trello usually and like make it really simple and... Or even like you know, working with my bands and stuff like that is just um, that agile methodology, you know, whether embraced you know completely or in part, has its benefits and it's had a really positive effect on my life. And like you said, you know, something I had to hone uh, over time. You know, uh, just one more question on this while we're here. Uh, so yeah. when you when you get like a project from a customer, say, did they just say? Yeah hey, I'm picturing it looking like this, go build it? Or do you actually get like a list of set of requirements and they say, here, here's what I want, go do it? Like where is that line, I guess? Oh, it varies very greatly. Like sometimes, you know, I'll get someone saying like, I need a website. How much is it going to be? <laughs> I'm like, okay, all right. Well, let's talk about everything first, you know. <clears throat> it, it comes in at that end. Um, or, you know what, the very common, you know, and then moving up, the very common question these days is like, you know, is Squarespace worth it? Should I go Squarespace? You know, and then I'll have that conversation with them and be like, okay, well, here are the, here are the, here, here, here's where Squarespace excels and here's where I think it could fit with you. Here's where I think it might be a shortcoming for you, you know, mm. um, kind of handhold them that way. And the other end of the spectrum is usually when I'm working with like, I do a little bit of freelance work these days for marketing agencies. And usually if they're coming to me, a contractor, it means they're already a little late, which usually means all the assets have been developed. And so usually there's mocks and they'll be like, okay, here are all the mocks. Here's a site map. Here's all the content. Um, when can you have this done by, you know? Yeah, sure. Which I also don't mind. I'm like, okay, perfect. Everything's here. I don't have to ask you a single question. Or, like, you know, it's not, not going to be a lot to go back and forth on. Right. Um, so, like, it, it usually varies within that that um, uh, range. And then sometimes with, like, the, the more, like, startup type of people, um, you know, they have a website design. Sometimes it's like, okay, well, I'm just going to figure out the mobile side of it on my own. Because they, they, a lot of clients still, you know, there's a notion of like mobile first. A lot of things get designed up by sure. mobile first, which is pretty is super reasonable because like majority of web traffic these days is on the phone. Right. So, but so many of my mocks come in on desktop. I'm like, okay, well, 
So sometimes my business offering is a little bit of like, okay, I'll just make this work for mobile for you because um, it's important. Right. And you just have to convince the client that it's important. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, the the the, the gaps in what you know the client comes to me with is is different every time. Um, but but yeah, usually usually it's in the middle somewhere. It's, it's never it's very rarely perfect and very rarely like completely clueless. You know? Sure. Yeah. Makes so sense. It's, so it's some middle ground. Have you done any um, web development for personal stuff? Any like your band or any of that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It comes in handy. Um, you know, whether it's my personal band or like sometimes I'll even just make a little website as a gift. You know, my Secret Santa this year, I like bought his the no, his full name, domain name, and just like made a graphic for him and slapped it up there. Oh, that's cool. Uh, sometimes it's. Uh, useful just for like um family stuff like oh you know i'll help everybody assemble these videos and just throw up on a on a on a, a, a secret page somewhere mm. you know yeah do you like having more creativity with that like here go build this random thing or do you like here's these 10 requirements here's what we want it to look like go build it um yeah, it's. Uh, I think the latter is uh, more eff- efficient. I think, and actually, if I think think back, I got into this industry thinking I was thinking I wanted to get into design. <clears throat> so, even my first contract gigs after I got back from Korea were as designer. What I quickly determined was that I couldn't handle how much how um, subjective the feedback would be. Mm-hmm. Like, this doesn't feel right. This blue doesn't feel right. <laughs> I was like, kind of losing my mind about it. Yeah. <clears throat> Those little details, you know? And I, I had, having had no actual, like, design history other than just, like, mucking about by myself, you know, uh, on the computer, and having, like, a certain degree of aesthetic and an eye... I didn't have that training to be able to process that kind of feedback well, you know? Yeah. And then <clears throat> and then what ha- ended up happening was I ended up choosing to pick up more development gigs, so I didn't have to think about the design. Right. It was just coding. And then it got to a good point where I could write HTML and CSS very well um, and just churn it out without too much thought. Um, and so... These days, when I when I'm developing for myself, I usually just like design in code. Like I'll just assemble the page and like just slap together something, and then and then keep tuning it and tuning it, and tuning it, rather than d- designing in Illustrator or whatever, and then moving it over. Um, so I find I, I find that kind of fun, um, but for the most part, <clears throat> I think I I don't know if I would use the word fun in general with my relationship with <laughs> with, with with programming. I, I have I hesitate. Uh, I think about, <clears throat> you know, think about the reason I made the jump, and I always, I'll always remember being at my software gig. It was a cushy software gig. It was like, you know, all the fixins, like the lunches, and like beanbag chairs, and culture, and what have you. Mm. You know, like pretty, like on paper, pretty, a great gig, a great gig. You know, but I was surrounded by people who were like super into their work super into programming, like programming weekends for fun and, and like 
um, being really passionate about what they were working on at their desk. And I was like, oh, wow, I can't relate to that in this context at all. Like, I, I recognize that person. I recognize that look, that that hustle, but I couldn't be bothered to to apply that to this. And that was like a big turning point when I realized. I was like, oh, shit. I don't know if I can do this much longer if I don't care. So, to answer your question, I don't know what I enjoy. <laughs> Uh, I enjoy solving problems. Yep. Uh, I enjoy that my clients right now are nonprofits, that I am bringing a lot of value to them, uh, a, a unique value to them, you know, to the organizations. Because uh, I don't think if they hired just any developer that, sorry, I know that if they, they it would if they had hired just any developer that the things wouldn't be getting done just because of my communication skills and and my ability to uh, break down the problems, right. you know. Um, so I think the, the, the joy, if you will, that I do get comes from more, uh, solving the problems and helping people. Mm. Beautiful. Which kind of, you know, lands me to where I end up in my second career, you know, even, even back when I was at the software company, I spent a whole year on a project doing just accessibility, like making the product accessible. And I, as I was like slogging through that, I was like, oh, this is, this is cool. I can get behind this task because I was helping maybe someone who who no one else was caring about. Yeah. You know? A little bit of meaning behind it. Yeah, yeah. And I <clears throat> but but I otherwise was like, oh yeah, I'm working at a company, making good money, working to make other people really good money so that this other organization can make really good money so that this other even bigger organization could buy out this company for even more money. You know, as much as you can infuse positivity and good feelings into a company culture, ultimately they were selling a product. Right. Um, it's a you business. Know, it, it, exactly. And so um, that that part fundamentally uh, messed with me a little bit. I was like, I don't know if I can continue doing this. I don't know if I can get better at this. You know, I, start, I started to step into a leadership role. So I was like, you know, I have those attitudes and maybe I can bring more value that way. And maybe uh, I'll enjoy that more. And I quickly discovered that, um, for me to be a effective leader, I need to care about the goal, you know? Yep. Um, <clears throat> and I didn't care about the goal ultimately. And so I think that to a degree has tainted, I don't know, the joy that, you know, 25 year old Jason got out of making websites. Um, you know? Yeah. I, I hope that I, answers your question. That, no, that was, it's funny, attention. man. It's funny. Cause I feel like I'm in the same exact boat that you were in, you know, mm. I'm a yeah. computer engineer, been doing it for eight years now. Yeah. And it's like, man, I don't know. Is this, is this what I worked for? Like I yeah. went to school. Is this, and I'm working for someone else, making them a ton of money. Mm-hmm. You know, same, it's like similar, similar situation. Yeah. And even still, you could go on your own and like do the thing that the people you work for did. But, I mean, it could just be equally meaningless. Like you yeah. made a product to order pizzas and then you made <laughs> a product to deliver pizza. You know, it's all kind of just like... <clears throat> Even like the, the the actual products that are being developed by software 
at large. Like we have like way more developers than ever before. We have more way more talent coming out of schools than ever before, and way more money being invested into companies developing shit. You know, and maybe this is a little bit of like, I don't know, uh, anarchist mentality. But like, I don't know how much of these things we need anymore. Like, how many more first world problems can we solve? You know, right? Um, yeah. There's this. There's the element of that that's like uh, in my my core feels a little bit. I don't know the the luddite inside of me is like, well, why 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 all this? We don't need all this, but you know, the wheel of modernity is going to continue and keep getting more modern and doing more shit. So yeah, I don't know. It's um, that compiled in with like you know that whole thing being rooted in consumerism and capitalism is kind of threw threw, threw me for a loop in it a bit, you know? Right. Right. So how did you find acupuncture? Um, so that's something over the years, um, being with my wife now for eight years, eight years, eight or nine years. Um, it was always like anecdotally just a joke. Like I was like, oh, I wish I could learn acupuncture. And like, it's something I would have been getting my whole life as a patient, um, even since I was a kid, like I was like seven or eight when I got my first acupuncture treatment. And, uh, and so in the last eight years, it was like something I would just throw it as a joke and they're like, Oh, I wish I could do acupuncture. And like, just to, just so that I could help the people that were around me, be it my wife or my mom or my brother or my dad, you know, mm. like, oh, I wish I could do that. <clears throat> Never really thinking about like, Oh yeah, people go to school for that. Like you can go to school. And then, and so like, you know, I came to this turning point in my software job. That was like the kind of the, the last thing I did before um, ultimately quitting. My wife and I both quit our jobs. My wife's an architect. We both quit our jobs to take some time off. Uh, moved to Amsterdam for a few months, did a little bit of traveling. And then <clears throat> where I kind of landed was like, oh, maybe just the ratio of web development in my life was off. Maybe I was just like, instead of being a 95, 40-hour job, I can make it like a three-day-a-week job. And then use that extra bandwidth to really focus on music. <clears throat> Try to build a career in music. Not just like trying to be an independent artist, but maybe I can get work. Maybe I could develop a portfolio for scoring and try to, I don't know, make music for video games or, or film or whatever sure. it is. Exploring my interests in the music realm. And, you know, I spent three months in Amsterdam just writing. I wanted to see if, like, you know, if I took away... Um, if I took away everything... And just uh, uh, left. I was just left with time. What would I do? Like, what would I spend my time doing? What are my compulsions? What would I, you know? <clears throat> that was kind of a bit of the exploration while I was away. And it also was like to hone in to see, like, if if I could just write music for weeks and weeks and weeks, could I? Is that something that I would enjoy? Is that something I would could do? Like, could I produce things? You know? And when I was there, I wrote a bunch of music and performed a little bit while I was there. Even <clears throat> I did a little tour with my friend's band. They, need, they needed a bass player for their UK tour, and so I jumped on their tour. So I had like a fun experience just like touring around the UK, playing bass with them. <clears throat> and right around this time, I also picked up uh, the Bruce Lee podcast. I don't know if you're much of a Bruce Lee enthusiast, but he's come into my life. This is the third time he's like made a profound effect on my life like at first when I was a kid <clears throat> you know just like being a silly kid doing kung fu moves sparring with my older brother 
um, to being a teenager in like philosophy class, and like, oh yeah, he has, he, you know, he, he could, he was a thinker too, you know, and then being much older now and really being able to ingest these his 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 thoughts, and the Bruce Lee podcast was this place where I was like, oh wow, I'm really connecting with all this material. It really kind of got me in touch with, um. Um, like Taoist philosophy that was inside of me all along. All of these things that that kind of just like um, they would describe. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, that makes total fucking sense for me. And like it, ma- it made life a little bit simple. You know, there is a simplicity to Taoism and even Buddhism where it's like, <clears throat> you know, the most elaborate issues can be responded to with like one answer, be like, no, just don't do that or whatever. You know what I mean? Uh, but one quote that really stuck with me was um, he said the only responsibility you have in life is to express yourself honestly without malice for others. That really stuck with me. And so, you know, fast forward, we're home from Amsterdam, frankly a little depressed, you know, we just got back to Canada. I'm playing music, doing freelance work, um, and I'm outside of one of my shows, and I met a sister of, a, of like a friend of a friend or somebody who's at one of our shows outside, and um, she was a student of acupuncture. And I was like, "Oh shit, huh? Tell me about that. Like, what do you? What's it like? Whatever." And we had like a good twenty minute conversation outside. And I was like, "Can can we go for coffee next week? Like, I want to <clears throat> pick your brain more." So we did, and we had like a three hour, four hour conversation. And I walked away from that being like, "I think this is it." I'm going to take this total left turn. Um, you know, what started as like this anecdotal joke, just like, oh, I should learn acupuncture. It was like, oh, wait a minute. I can't learn acupuncture. It never really crossed my mind that I could ever go back to school. I, was, <clears throat> I, I never really excelled at school. I never really like loved school ever because I never got to choose what I learned. It was always just like, you know, you're yeah. in public school. We have to go to school. Now you got to go to university. And my mom was like, you should go to business school. I'm like, oh, I'll go to business school. This is totally my choice. Um, but then turn around and like, you know, I was so freaking jazzed to write an essay for my entrance uh, <laughs> application for acupuncture school. I was so excited to just tell somebody why I wanted to do it. I'm like, this is indication enough for me that this might be something I'm going to be into. And then... Um, you know, there was a six month period where I was just like, you know, still working and like just leading up to school. I got to school and what I quickly realized was, was that I was for the first time in a long time, like surrounded by like-minded individuals. I always kind of stood out as strange in the software company. Not, it's pretty atypical. Like I, even like I didn't do comp sci, I was like surrounded by computer scientists you know it's like <laughs> i'm a software web developer you know uh we know some of the same things but you know way more of it and you know it way more conceptually you know but i could keep up for the most part but the company kept me around because i was different that's what they wanted and um but here then i arrived at school and i was like oh okay wait a minute i can connect with these people way easier i find myself at the software company mostly just kind of feeling lonely or I'd go to like to the other departments to hang out with people that I thought that I enjoyed, you know. But for the most part, the development organization within the, the company I was working with, with I, I didn't really connect with a lot of the people that I was around. 
there was just, you know, different breed of people. And it really made me question, like, oh, can I stay in software this long if I don't, not, I'm not particularly, like, of this ilk? You know what I mean? But as soon as I arrived at school, I was like, oh, wait, here we are. <clears throat> These are my people. You know? Um, so, yeah, it kind, of, it kind of is, like, all these little things. And, you know, I, on top of all that, it was also just, like, you know, I'm not going to take for granted that I could afford to take time off from work. You know? Um, it is a luxury to be able to say, oh, I need some more space in my life. You know, this is like very, you know, um, it takes uh, a, little, a little bit of luck, affluence, a little bit of like, you know, all these things just kind of like worked out in my favor where I was allowed to make space in my life so right. that something else could come in. You know, I think I think it's really difficult to make those transitions if you are in the thick of your existing life. You know, if you're, if you're hurtling forward, you know, as an engineer or whatever, it's hard to be like, maybe I should go to art school. You know, like, you, <clears throat> you don't even have the space to really process what that means. And so, um, to have the luxury to just create that space in my own life, you know, really blessed to be able to have done that so that this thing could come in. Follow-up question on that is, were you scared leaving your job did you did you say hey i'm gonna take a month off and see where i sit i know i'm gonna come back how did that work out i wasn't particularly scared leaving i think that was largely in part because i was going to amsterdam <laughs> for a few months i was like you know it's pretty exciting going traveling i was gonna go on tour you know all these things uh, i would say some of my coworkers described me as glowing maybe <laughs> Um, so you knew <clears throat> you were comfortable with your decision and you were you knew that was not yeah. the final stage for you yeah and even still like it was um i hadn't fully quit when i left they they um my employer insisted like well let's keep the door open for you like mm-hmm. you know because i was like i'm gonna go for three months we initially thought we we're gonna go for a year but it didn't quite work out that way i was like okay we're going for three months they're like, well, we'll keep the door open for you. We'll assume you're coming back until you say you're not. And so, like, six weeks in, I was like, here's an email that I should have sent you six weeks ago. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I'm pretty certain. But I guess, you know, that gave me the time to just be like, yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure now. Right. That's cool. So, like, I had all the, uh, uh, the, the safety padding that I could have to help me in that transition, I guess, you know. Mm as far as feeling fear or whatever. Right. But I'm also, I'm, I had this rhythm of like uh, three or seven, three years or seven years where I, I tend to change things up anyways, where, whether it's like a work situation or a living situation or, or something There tends to be this cadence anyhow. And so as I was approaching, I'm like, Oh yeah, this is my regular rhythm. Things are changing cause they're, that's how, it, how it goes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I've heard a lot of people mention the seven-year cycle. I don't know if that's, like, a known thing, but... Yeah, I mean, there's a seven-year itch in relationships. Uh, it's, like, seven to eight years, roughly, that, you know, you replace every cell in your body. So it takes seven years to become a different person, mm. you know? In Chinese medicine, it's a similar thing, seven, eight years. Interesting. Um, yeah. So, it's. I mean, it's not... Uh, <clears throat> totally baseless yeah yeah even though like you know whatever anecdotes we're making is totally unscientific but you know it's a fun it's a fun way to think about yeah, it. yeah definitely is 
So when you were in Amsterdam, you mentioned you were writing music with your time, and how come that wasn't the decision? You ended up with acupuncture anyway. Mm. I think um, that has a little bit to do with being, and so like, what I knew I wasn't going to do was like, I'm not going to be like writing hit songs for the radio. I wasn't going to be like a rock star. I was pretty, like that wasn't something I ever expected. It's, uh, and that has more to do with like the nature of the music industry, <clears throat> the nature of music in general. It's a weird wild west situation. You know, things still haven't settled post Napster in my opinion. Um, and so it was just more so my perspective on the industry that had me like, okay, I should approach it more this way. Maybe I can get licensing things or like there's other avenues to like make a living playing music. Um, and it was such early stages that I was honing those things. Um, and I knew it would be a slog. I knew it would be like several years. Like in my mind, I was like, okay, I'm probably gonna have to do web development for another 10 years minimum um, before I have any sense of being able to do music full time. But then the acupuncture thing just kind of took me by surprise. Um, it just kind of happened to me. I was like, wait a minute, I could do acupuncture and play music. You know, that, that, that means I don't have this music thing trying to support my sanity while um, uh, web development supported my wallet. You know, I could have both things be fulfilling. And I was like, oh, shit, that's winning the lottery. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, and so early on, that's kind of how I thought about it. And so, you know, uh, I'm still playing quite a bit of music. So it's oh, that's worked awesome. out nicely. Yeah. So the, the music door is not closed. No, no. And it doesn't even have a door. It's just like an open, door. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. it's a part of me that, that, uh, yeah, you know, some people stop and some people don't, I don't think I'll ever stop. When did you start playing music? Uh, I was three or four when my mom started, started me on piano lessons, Wow, which was pretty typical of a Korean Asian parent to get their kid onto music. You know, mm. I don't think she ever expected that I would like, play rock and roll or punk rock or anything like that. I think she thought, you know, she always say things like, you know, I'd be eight, year old, eight years old and she'd be like, you know, when you get grade nine piano level, you'll get a free university credit, you know? And like nine-year-old me was like, I don't know what that is, but cool, I guess. I don't, yeah. What are credits, you know? Um, but I don't, I, don't, I don't know if my mom really has a good... Like, I wonder if her pushing me into music, I'm not sure what that's rooted in because the thing that it's given me is, I think, far different and far greater than she'd ever expected. Whether it's like the ability to, like, whether it's like, you know, having confidence, ability to perform, or, um, you know, the, there, there's like this intangible, transferable skill of, of playing music. I, I don't know if you play music or anything, I don't. but um, <clears throat> this concept of harmony and dissonance, you know, it's uh, very prominent in Chinese medicine even. Uh, it's a way to look at human relationships. 
It's a way to look at, um, you know, one's self-concept, like how you look at yourself, you know. Um, and, and so it's, there is this abstract, almost philosophical aspect of playing music that I don't think my mom ever expected me to, you know, <clears throat> reap. I, I, maybe she did. Maybe she was like, this will make you, this will make you, you know, sound of mine. I, I don't, I don't know. I think, um, or, you know, wh- whether it's like all that time I spent building community, you know, having a band and like having people support you and like come out to shows and all that shit. Like, you know, community building is a big part of, of, of playing music too. And so, um, you know, I bought my first guitar when I was 13 and like immediately took to it. Piano was just like, ah, this is this thing I did, I do because I'm a good boy. My mom told me to do it. And I did piano lessons until I was 18. Um, but I, but I didn't play again piano for again until I was like 28 because my girlfriend now wife had a keyboard. I'm like, oh cool. And then I realized I'm like, oh, I can play pop songs on the piano. I can play songs that I want to play, not just the right. classics, which is all I played sure. growing up. Um, as soon as I realized I could play like rock piano, I was like, holy fuck! I've been doing that for like eight or nine years, well, pretty much as long as I've dated my wife, and it's opened a whole new door of of, of keys that I. I mean, I play synthesizers now in one of the new bands that I play in. So, um, uh, but yeah, so my my journey, yeah. So I picked up my guitar when I was thirteen, started playing in bands when I was eighteen, nineteen. Even played in Korea when I was there. Started a band while I was over there. Wow. Um, which was a lot of fun as well. Played a lot of open mics. Played a lot of a lot of drunken crowds. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah. You started young, and you kind of mentioned you were being a good boy, kind of forced. When did you fall in love with it? Um, I think when I got my guitar. Yeah. <clears throat> when I was 13, I realized I, like... I stopped playing as much sports because I was just like holed up in my room trying to learn these like Smashing Pumpkins songs or whatever, <laughs> you know. And then like uh, the the first like few months, I got these calluses on my hands, um, and even like my posture changed a little because I was just like playing so much guitar. Uh, and it was the first time something had like consumed me that way, you know. Um, yeah, it was, it was the first time that, that I had, like, got so engrossed. I mean, other than, like, I don't know, maybe, like, a really good Nintendo game. <laughs> but I never I never felt, like, good after it. I put, like, a seven hours on Bubble Bobble or whatever. It's always, like, I feel like garbage. Yep. Um, I can't do that again tomorrow, you know? Yeah. But with guitar, it was, like, I would get home from school, and I would play and play and play and, like, do my homework and then play and play and play. And I was even, like, at that time, I was playing so much tennis, too. But when I got my guitar, it was just, like... I ditched tennis entirely. Mm. And it was just like, even my friends were like, are you coming to the courts tonight? I'm like, ah, I'm going to, I'm going to go home and play guitar. So that was, that was a, a big, a big turning point for me. Wow. Did you take lessons for guitar? Or you, since you had the piano background, you kind of grew off of that. Yeah. I mostly picked up like friends. I had a friend who played and he taught me a bunch of stuff early on. And then, um, yeah, mostly self-taught. I, I had like a guitar class in high school that I took. It was a like grade 11 guitar that I took when I was in my final year. I was in OAC. We had five years of high school at that time here. And it was just like a course for fun uh, where I learned a little bit of like classical guitar. But otherwise, mostly just just learning on my own. I'm still learning, yeah. to be honest. I don't think I really became a confident guitar player until like three years ago. Mm. 
just after you logged so many hours, you finally exactly. Yeah, it's like That's anything, it. mastery. Yeah, yeah. And once you get to a point where you can like think of things and then like have it come out, you know. I mean, programming is the same thing. We're like, like, oh, I have this idea, and then it just comes out of you rather than like having to like break down what each note is or whatever. Um, there was a, th- a threshold that I reached. It was like, oh, okay. Now I can just express myself through this tool and not like have to craft something. Right, right. You finally learned how to use it. Um, Bruce Lee podcast. Yeah. Is this actually Bruce Lee? So it's Shannon Lee, his daughter. Um, okay. And another girl named, I think also named Shannon, who uh, helps run the Bruce Lee Foundation. Because he passed away, <clears throat> I don't know, way before I was born. So he. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Oh yeah, he's long gone. Oh, I didn't know that. That's yeah. I mean, his spirit, his spirit lives has lived on very vividly for ages, obviously. Um, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, so the podcast has been around for like three years now. I think they're out at episode like 130. It's cool. They they'll t- they'll break down each episode is like one thing. So like, you know, they'll take one famous quote. You know, as an example, like his famous "Be Water" quote. You know. Uh, are you familiar with that one? Be water, be water, my friend. Where he's I don't know it. It's a very, really famous interview of him on a, on a, on a talk show. And I think the host is something like, "Tell us what this philosophy or whatever." It's like you know, and it's 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 a quote about adaptability and like you know, he says, "When water is in a pot, it's in the shape of a pot. When water is in a bowl, it's in the shape of a bowl. It can flow, but it can also crash. Be water, my friend." You know, and whether that's uh, physically in your body or emotionally, when met meeting other emotions, it's this idea that um, you can be both hard and soft. You can be, uh, uh, and you can be shaped by your environment, or you can shape your environment. Um, yeah, and so and they'll take a quote like that <clears throat> and just break it down for like forty-five minutes. Talk about wow. it, talk about its context. Talk about where he was. Talk about why he might have said that. Talk about and then, and then they'll end each episode with take-homes. Like, so here's what you can do, you know, in your day-to-day life to be more like water or, you know, whatever the quote is. Or, so he's yeah, had, yeah, they give you a little action. That's exactly, cool. action items, you know. Uh, Damn. And he's, um, you know, he wasn't just like a kung fu movie star or whatever. He was, he was a thinker. And, um, yeah, it's, it's been really cool to just like hold on to that stuff and just have it with me. Yeah, I'm going to check that out. I got to do some more research on Bruce Lee. Yeah, man, go for it. It's uh he's uh it's pretty pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I mean, he he was around for such a short period too and it's uh, it's amazing uh even what little influence he's had on just just the film industry, you know, shooting yeah. how to shoot action scenes, you know. Kind of all totally. came from him. Yeah, I feel like he has a lot of movies. That's why Yeah, he's actually I mean, if you look back, if you like torrent like the bruce lee collection it's like five films it's only five or six really um uh, that's wild as far as like widespread release and so um but yeah he's a interesting cat Hmm. you should should check it out for sure yeah definitely um you also mentioned that you used to spar with your brother did you ever do any like actual martial arts yeah yeah i grew up up doing uh taekwondo which is cool 
And then uh, when I was living in Korea, I did a little bit of karate. And then most recently, some Muay Thai boxing. Um, yeah. It's always... Uh, right now I'm in school, so it's like quite busy. But I'm doing uh, something else called Qigong, which is if you're... Are you familiar with Tai Chi? Like what that looks like? Yes. Yeah, so it's like yes. Tai Chi, but uh, it's less martial. It's less a, less about um, interacting with the external, and it's more about inner cultivation. Uh, and so it's a kind of thing that I can even prescribe to patients who are having you know a whole range of issues that I can say, well, here here's this qigong exercise, and it's you know slow movement. It's a lot of focus on the breath, and ultimately it's just about getting out of your head and getting into your body. I think that that's one aspect of. Um, I had a realization. I met a I met a circus performer once. I was like, "Shit, where did you study circus performing? <laughs> like, where did you go?" It's like, "Oh, I had to go to China. You know, they have the large, the longest history in, in circus. And you know, you go to a school and like one class, you just walk by and like that person's doing ladder balancing. You go to the next one, that person's you know doing like sword juggling or whatever. You know, I was like, mm. "Oh, that's so interesting." And I kind of like it was just like thing clicked in my brain I'm like oh wow like that is something about Chinese culture that I really respect is this um, mind body relationship that I have that they've always preserved whether it's through martial arts or you know, or, or through or through creative expression like in the circus or <clears throat> you know they really excel in, in this aspect of it and even the Chinese medicine is you know uh, a getting in the body and Qigong specifically is about kind of getting you out of your head. I mean, at least in modern times, I think its application is about getting you out of your head. We spend so much time in our minds uh, that we forget that it's part of the body. You know, sometimes when you go to see a doctor, you're like, there's something wrong with my mind, you know, and and they'll just ask you about your mind. Meanwhile, if you go to see a Chinese medicine practitioner, they say, you know, there's something wrong with my mind. They'll be like, okay, well, how are you sleeping? How's your digestion? You know, it's the full picture. Yeah. Um, they see it. <clears throat> they see it as part of it, rather. You know. Um, shit, I forgot what your question was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was just. Uh, it was just martial arts, but you went into great detail. Yeah, you yeah. hit a lot of so, the questions I was going to ask about. So right, that's right. Cool. So, but yeah, martial arts has always been. Um, been a part of my life. I tend to get back into it a bit, a bit more, but at the moment, it's more so. I'm, I'm doing qigong, which is this. Cultivation uh, exercises there. there. It's a whole whole other thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a connection that I don't think uh, between the mind and the body that I don't think we focus on over here. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, if you're anxious about something in your mind, your stomach's gonna hurt or whatever. Yeah. You know, there's so many connections with yeah. emotions in the body. Yeah, and there's so much modern research about gut health and like the. The, the stomach biome and how it affects you know like just just two days ago they're they're trying to link um, the the biome of the stomach to um, I think it was schizophrenia and so like it's gonna just open the door to a whole new branch of research where they have to like okay well we don't have to look at the we'll have to look at the stomach now in relation to these mental health disorders you know right it's incredible um so ah. So many, so many ways to go. <laughs> um, tai Chi, Qigong, all these, even karate, right? You, they have these moves, and you know they kind of look like a dance sometimes, but mm-hmm. slower. And 
I guess this kind of flows into acupuncture, but you're moving your body in certain ways to get like energy to flow and mm-hmm. all this. Do you have any insight on that? I mean, it's ultimately like manipulating what you have for a goal, whether that's um, whether that's pushing off of the back foot into the leg, up the spine, and out the arm into a target to you know, inflict damage or whatever, or strike, you know, is not that much different from me, um, you know, rooting into my stance and applying a needle into uh, to an acupuncture point. They're quite similar movements. And <clears throat> um, in fact, we have to do a little bit of like, when, we're, when, when I was starting needling, um, do a little bit of like visualization. Like I'm breaking a board, like don't, you know, a very common thing with board breaking was don't think about breaking the board, think about punching through the board. And it's the exact same mm. thing with needles. It's like, don't think about piercing the skin. You know, early on when you're needling for the first time, it might be pretty fucking weird to just like, hey, I'm taking a needle, I'm going to pierce <laughs> your skin, new classmate I just met, you know. Um, mm. But if you forget about that and think about moving into the point and moving past it, it's a very similar a similar kind of thing. I think uh, it really did help me pick up, pick up, uh, rather I picked up needling quite, I think pretty quickly, and it was, or it came to me quite naturally anyways. Um, <clears throat> and it, they, they, they are rooted in, in similar, um, how can I say this? I benefit from having uh, the martial arts training because it's given me an awareness of my body, an awareness of how to manipulate my energy which um, helps me apply the energy into the needles that I need. Mm. Those things are, you know, fundamentally linked. Yeah, that's really cool. Is it true? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know where I heard this in class mm. or something, but someone was talking about how the acupuncture points were actually like kill points. Like if you hit <laughs> these hard enough or that's how like they were they, discovered. Like do they have – there? I mean certain points have martial applications. I mean – I mean, there exist points all over the body, and so, like, if you hit any one of those points hard enough, it's certainly going to hurt. Um, I remember there's that Jet Li movie where the, um, you know, Jet Li is an ocup- has acupuncture needles, like, in his, like, in the cuff of his sleeve, and he'll, like, apply one to the back of the spine to, like, paralyze you, mm. which, um, or to, like, freeze you, which isn't completely untrue. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if anybody's going to actually use it that way, or... Uh, if you would, but um, uh, there there is some interesting conversations out there that, that where where, the, where those things do cross. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think um, I, I wonder. I wonder if there are like kung fu practitioners out out there back in the day who you know used the points specifically because it, cert- it was certainly been portrayed in, in film. Remember right. kung fu films were like, yeah, I hit them here. Like you know, even the ending of Kill Bill where he's like five palm exploding heart. <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, whether those have like practical application, I don't know. Debatable. Sure. Do they go into the origin of acupuncture, or is it more, hey, this is how we use it? Um, we do have a history class, and the origins are elusive. Like we have um, some of the, a lot of the main classic texts come in about. You know, just over two thousand years old, um, 
and there's like that's like some of the first writing of acupuncture that we discovered and that was like on inside of like turtle shells written in like stone or whatever you know <clears throat> so that's like the first time we hear about acupuncture and then we have all these texts that come up after that over the past 2000 years one of my favorite stories is um uh, i don't i've been telling this story so much i should really corroborate it and do some research but my teacher told me this story about Utsi, which is uh, Utsi is this famous uh, body that they found in the Alps. You can Google. I think it's O T S I, and um, that's a body they found in the Alps. Which remarkable about this body is that it was frozen, like almost perfectly intact. Um, the person's like clothes were still on them, not fully intact, but like you know some of the clothes was on them, and the food was still in the stomach, um, and the way that it had been frozen preserved the body in a way that we, we haven't really seen before. And that was like in the 20s or 30s, I think. Uh, you know, fast forward a few decades and they carbon date it and they're like, oh shit, this body is 5,000 years old. This is crazy, wow. you know. And then, <clears throat> and then uh, fast forward even further, you know, they're investigating, they, you know, they no they've always noticed these tattoos that were on the body. Um, the tattoos look like... Uh, these blocks. I don't know if you're familiar with the, the South Korean flag. You know how it has the yin yang in the middle and the, and the blocks on the outside. Yeah, yeah. But the tattoos look like those blocks on the outside, which are symbols for um, various states of yin and yang. Um, which is strange because it was nowhere near China that the body was found. And also, why are the tattoos there? They're decorative. They seem to be scattered you know, throughout the body. Um, later research discovers that this person had. Um, uh, disorders of the stomach like they had like basically like unsettled stomach disorders whether it was like IBS or IBD I'm not sure I can't remember exactly hmm. but they had these these health issues and then what they did was they cross-referenced all the locations of the tattoos with the conditions that this person had and they realized that they were located in the acupuncture points that would wow. treat that would have treated this person's conditions that's amazing 5,000 years ago, you know, that matches up with like some of the oldest acupuncture needles were found that were also 5,000 years old. Hmm. So there's this whole pre, you know, uh, ancient China era where you don't really know how they figured it out. Um, but they did. And apparently they <laughs> did for thousands of years. Yeah. Um, and then finally they wrote it down, you know, um, so it's it's kind of elusive how old it really is. It's older than history as we know it. Um, which, you know, I think to some people it sounds a bit far-fetched, but if you compare it to like, you know, you, we have roughly 200 years of modern medicine, you know, 200 years of being able to like look really close at things and, you know, we had microscopes and we have all this high resolution imaging and we start cutting open bodies and like really mapping out the organs and understanding how blood works all this like really um grain level understanding germ theory was huge you know but um you know that versus you know roughly 5000 years of of like clinical experience you know um it can't be i don't think it can be I think some people think that, you know, the Western method 
uh, completely undermines the legitimacy of Chinese medicine. Uh, I find that I've, I have a really hard time accepting that <clears throat> we couldn't have figured out something over 5,000 years and generations and generations that is useful for us, that can be passed down, you know? Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of like the story that I, yeah, that I tell yeah. in general when it comes to the history of acupuncture. I find that history, even martial arts, acupuncture, all that stuff, just so fascinating. Like, mm-hmm. it's just so old, so deep. Like, mm-hmm. And I don't know, at least... And maybe um you know I'm in uh, Massachusetts in America whatever I just feel like we don't have as open a, of a mind to it I don't know mm-hmm. yeah I think um, you know I think a lot of Western dare I say or modern thought anyways is rooted in like facts and knowing things I think we're addicted to knowing how everything works. And, you know, grew up learning how everything functions. And so to be confronted with a medicine like Chinese medicine where, I don't know, even, I I, I could have this wrong, but what I've understood and kind of accepted is that we actually don't know what qi is, even though I'm, you know, as an acupuncturist, my main concern is to manipulate qi, to reharmonize your body. What qi actually is, is, kind of unknown and it almost feels like they use the word chi because we didn't have an actual knowledge of what it actually was we can only observe what it how it behaves we can observe it in nature we can observe, and we can interact with it but what it actually is is like you know we don't really know it's almost godly that way um and so that even just that aspect of like we don't know what's actually happening <laughs> i think it can be hard to swallow sure um um, but what isn't hard to swallow is when someone comes in and says, I've tried all these different things. I've tried all, all these different medicines and all these different drugs, but I still have this issue. And you treat them and they feel better. You know, that's pretty tangible. Yeah. Uh, um, um, shoot. What was it? You, you started with something. I promised myself I wouldn't lose track of what I was, <laughs> what I was answering. Um, it's it's good. I, I mean, you're we're going into a lot of good conversation, so I'm enjoying it. So okay, no good, worries good, good. about the questions. Um, yeah, and so like yeah. It, oh, oh, as far as 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 the West goes, you know, even even uh, our relationship with medicine in the West is 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 what of like fix me. You know, like I'm a car, you're the shop fix it i think there's a lot of people who disassociate from their body disassociate from their burdens and their pains you know there's people who like feel something they're like and rather than being like hmm i wonder what that is and i wonder how how what i should do to fix it instead they're like oh my god does that mean i'm gonna die soon don't think about it you know don't think about it and they just disassociate it from it you know or oftentimes people People coming from a, you know, and then you get, you finally do get to a doctor and they're like, okay, we have this drug for you. Uh, it may or may not work, but take it, to, for, for, take it for four to six weeks. And then if it's not better, just come back. Um, and you go back, like, okay, well, try this other drug for four to six weeks. And if it's still hurting, come back. You know? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, it's a long time. Right. Meanwhile, when you do see an acupuncturist or a Chinese herbalist, you're seeing them hopefully once a week minimum, twice a week even, 
up to three times a week. In China, you go in every day. Mm. You know, uh, what better way to monitor someone's ailments than to see it every day, treat it every day, and see it progress? Is right. it getting worse or better? If it's getting better, continue. If it's getting if it's not getting better, then I have to adjust my treatment. Right. Um, that little nuance different difference alone uh, is is a, is a huge difference, I think. And then, but it also requires, I think, of the patient uh, participation. Whereas with the pharmaceutical, the kind of the pharmacological method in the West is like has been really streamlined so that doctors can run efficiently so that the most number of people can be treated. Uh, and then in turn also like sell a lot of drugs, you know? Yep. Um, and it really has people, I think disassociated from their own health. Uh, I had a patient, uh, I had someone recently where they were like, I have never had anybody pay this much attention to my body before. And all I was doing was just like, kind of like tapping. Just I wanted to see, see what the muscles felt like, you know. And they're like, mm-hmm. I don't think I've had anybody, anybody. Um, sorry, just one second. What's that? Okay. Um, you know, just the, the, those little nuances is, is uh, interesting because it's like, why wouldn't you pay attention to your body? You know, <laughs> it's the thing that's holding up your head. <laughs> why wouldn't you? You know. Uh, and so it's 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 one of those things. I'm always alarmed at how many people don't look at their poop. You know how much we talk about poop in Chinese medicine school? <laughs> and like developing a language. It's it's such an interesting thing to have a patient come back and, you know, they're like their third, fourth. And this is at my student clinic at school, you know. They're like, you know, I thought about, uh, uh, I'm like, how's it going? I'm like, you know what? I've been thinking about what we've been talking about. And so I've been looking at my poop. And I'm like, thank goodness. My goodness, you know, you spent how many years not looking at the thing that's coming out of your body? How could you not look at it? Um, uh, you know, but but it, meanwhile, it could tell us so much. Um, you know, so that was a bit of a tangent, but yeah, I, there's those also so many different thing, different uh, differences in, in in the Chinese medicine way of thinking that is just, you know, really speaks to me and. The whole the whole system has really been just a cool way to um, help people. You know, I mentioned that when I was in Amsterdam, I I stripped everything away to see what my compulsions were, and one of them was, you know, one of them was making things. I love to make things. Mm. Um, and the other one was like helping people. I love helping people or making people feel better or helping people with their burdens, whether it's like telling them a funny joke or uh, 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 cooking them a meal or writing them a song. These are all just like uh, ways of connecting with somebody so that they feel something good, they feel something positive. And acupuncture has been a, a far more tangible way to just l- allow me to continue doing that, you know? You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's awesome. That's, that's my main thought there. <laughs> <laughs> that's really cool. That's, that's, it's just such a good story. I, I love hearing it because it, like I said, I feel like I'm in a similar position to where you were at your software company. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I've done these things where I sit down and I write and I say, what, where do I, if I didn't have to work tomorrow, right, what am I going to do? And yeah. the answers I always come up with are, you know, solve 
problems as an engineer. That's what I like to do, mm-hmm. and then help people. So mm-hmm. it sounds like you've uh, you've hit the nail on the head with those those two things right there. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it. Uh, I think one it makes it makes me feel peaceful. You know to to be here. There's no like ongoing turmoil, <laughs> like gotta go to fucking work again or like none of that. You know, I feel super lucky. But I mean, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe three years from now, I'm gonna fucking hate it. Maybe three years from now, I'm like, this is the worst decision. Patients are the worst. Uh, who can say? But yeah, uh, for now, um, I'm, like I'm all in. You know, it's, yeah. it's it's been uh, it's really cool. And then even just just um, going through school and studying so much of yin yang theory, it's really just kind of changed me. It's affected me the same way that like you know, um, you know, there's certain classes growing up that like kind of change your perspective of the world. And this one has done that very much so. Just understanding. I'm going to say, like, yin-yang theory and five-element theory, you know, a lot of the theories of Chinese medicine were built by observing nature, like observing how nature works, how the world works, um, because, you know, they understood that we are of nature, so how how nature works is also reflected on the inside of the body. Um, To then do that on the flip side, and be, like, learning about my body, and then, like, all right, and then understanding... And it's helped me have a better understanding of nature. I don't just mean like nature, like the forest or whatever, but also like people and how people interact, relationships, uh, family relation, family dynamics, um, even like the dynamics of driving on the highway and everyone's in their own car and like what that exchange is. It's you know um, the the cause of pain is much more clear to me why people get rude rage is just like, oh yeah, it's because we're in separate cars and we all think we're by ourselves. That's why. You know, there's a a lot of things that helps me like understand the world a bit better. And, um, it's nice. Did you, is that from a book or just the class specifically? Anything we can look up to get some of that information? Um, Uh, I guess I guess yin yang theory. I mean, I think it's something that's been written about quite a bit. Yeah. Um, yin yang theory and five element theory. It's uh, yeah. I would. I, I don't know where I could like suggest like an introductory <laughs> thing to get into. I'm, I uh, there is another podcast called Chiological, which is for students of Chinese medicine and stuff. Yeah. I'm, 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 maybe I can follow up with you. I, I have to find okay. something. Yeah, that would be great. That was like a, a good introduction to yin yang theory. And, mm. um, but yeah. Cool. Yeah. This is, this has been a lot of fun. It's, it's cool. Cause, um, I'm 30 years old and mm-hmm. last year I just actually started, uh, taking martial arts and, cool. you know, what so you going, it's called Bagua. Oh yeah. Bagua. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, it's so much fun. But um, that's very cool. So all this stuff you're talking about is, you know, it's hidden, and I just, it's so I'm into it right now. So it's really cool. Yeah, yeah. It's it's um, 
Yeah. Uh, one way I, I like to describe it is like um, getting to know yourself, really. Getting into your body is getting to know yourself. You know, people describe getting to know yourself as like, do these like psychological tests and like all these things about the mind and how the mind works. But getting to know yourself can be very simple and it's really just about getting into your body. Um, and I, I've, looking back onto my martial arts training now, like with the brain that I have now and looking back onto the types of training that I went through and, and what that did to me and what that gave me, you know, um, can't replace that you know it's it's a, it's a special thing to get to know yourself in that way totally totally well that's awesome man i want to be i want to be uh, mindful of your time i don't know if there's anything else you want to get into or talk about um i think we covered the gamut i was uh, yesterday i was thinking about like where, where, where are we gonna go i think we kind of covered everything that i had imagined we might awesome awesome um, it's been cool because like you know, a big part of uh, my training is also just I should be able to talk about it. I should be able to defend the profession. I should be able to um, speak of the theories, whether it's to patients or to others who are just, you know, curious. And so it's something that I've been working on anyways, and it's, it's been mm -hmm. a, a, a great opportunity for me to just dive into it, you know. Have you got much um, pushback on people saying, hey, this isn't real, this doesn't work, or anything like that? Um. I think about that. I uh, had an interesting experience where, <clears throat> so there are these series of, so I have a, a Qigong instructor who also teaches Bagua. Or does she teach Bagua? I'm not sure. I think she does. She teaches Tai Chi, but she, uh, both her and her father practiced Qigong and she cured her myopia. So like she had, uh, she couldn't see far, I think. She cured myopia through I Qigong, which is just really just a series of eye exercises. And I was like, that's cool. Like she, she no longer needed her glasses anymore. Like, that's fucking crazy. And then a, a few weeks after that, hearing that, I was at a party and uh, there was an optometrist there. And so I explained the story to him, him. And I said, can you tell me what happened there? Like from your perspective, from your training, what do you think happened there? And maybe because we're, he, you know, he had been a few beers deep or whatever <laughs> sure. was like like no fucking way nah, nah it's impossible i'm like but no it's not impossible because she doesn't wear glasses like i'm telling you this happened not an idea like, this <laughs> happened right he's like no 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 that's that's impossible um she probably has like horrible night vision and i was like oh okay and he, he explained to me his theory about why that be like you know it just means that people's more dilated and that's why she can see but the compromise or the, the the downside is that you don't get as good night vision. So when he explained to me, I'm like, okay. I took that back to my instructor, and I was like, you know, I was curious. Do you have bad night vision? She was like, no. I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I don't. Uh, and and but what I should say is that also like these things, you know, if some a patient comes to me and they ask me, is this gonna work? You know. Uh, my, I'm not gonna by default just say yes. You know, these things, uh, care and uh, uh, medicine. You know, 
it's not going to work for everybody all the time for all ailments everywhere, you know? Sure. Yeah. There, there is an aspect of, you know, practitioner fit. Is this the right practitioner for you? Um, you know, there's an aspect of like, are you being fully honest? Are you telling them everything that that's going on? Actually, you know, you could be leaving out things that you think, ah, oh, it's not that important. But meanwhile, it's like, it's a, a big differentiator of, of how they're going to treat you. Um, uh, you know, there's a lot of aspects, but largely I think for the most part, when I talk to people, but they're mostly enthused, I, I get most excited talking to people who have backgrounds in Western medicine. I was at a, my, I'm in a Beach Boys band, and we played this winter uh, Christmas party, and it was for um, local hospital who all worked in like the a local hospital, anyways. And I talked to a nurse about it, just like briefly. I was like, "Yeah, I'm, an, I'm in school for acupuncture." And she's like, "Oh, that's so cool!" Like, she talked and she just shared her experiences. She's like, you know, it helped me with all these things. Um, you know, it's I always hear a lot of these stories where like. I went to my doctor with the stomach pains and he was like, you have gas. And I was like, okay, so what, what do I do about it? Like, it's like, well, you know, that's the reason. And like, he didn't have anything for her. He didn't have a treatment for her. Um, maybe a little bit of advice, but then, you know, you come to an acupuncture and say, I have gas. Then immediately I can help you with that. Um, you know, there isn't an ailment too small that is untreatable. Which I think there's, that is one of the, the, the great powers of this medicine is that, you know, um, no symptom is left kind of like to just stay with you just because I don't have a treatment for it. You know, I can always treat, I don't, I don't want to say too much, I don't want to say the wrong thing here, but like, you know, for the most part, we can treat almost anything. It's a, it's a. You know, someone described it as like a full service system, if you will. Sure. It's kind of a weird way to put it, but like, yeah. you know, it it is it covers the gamut, and so I find that interesting when, when like you know someone who has you know oftentimes it's someone who's gone through Western treatments and haven't been cured, or you know I find that really interesting. But also the people who are in Western medicine, dentists and doctors who do get acupuncture treatments or Chinese medicine uh, uh, diagnoses and stuff, I find that. So cool. Yeah, that is really cool. Because, um, um, because those things don't conflict fundamentally. You know, they're different, but they're both observing the same thing as the human body. Yeah. Both fixing the same thing. Yeah. You know, it's not, you know, in China and Taiwan and Korea, Chinese medicine and Western medicine are practiced in parallel. You can go to the same hospital and get either treatment, you know. Uh, and they, they excel at different things for different ailments. So it's super interesting that way. Yeah. Is acupuncture used mostly for like stomach things, or is it everything? It's all kinds okay. of things. Yeah, it's a full gamut. I mean, um, I think in North America it's pretty popular for MSK, like musculoskeletal, like injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up getting mostly having it as injury medicine, whether it's like, you know, ankles or knees or shoulders or whatever. Uh, but I also had it from my migraines as a kid. I had all these really wretched headaches. And those stopped after getting eight or nine treatments. Um, you know, it's uh, it's a, it, it has a broad set of tools and things that can it can treat. Gotcha. That's and, really yeah. cool. Really cool. 
Yeah, my wife um, has Crohn's, and she has been going mm-hmm. to an acupuncturist. An acupuncturist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she's she's really liked it. It's only been uh, Great, yeah. a couple months or something, but yeah. Sometimes with those with with certain conditions, it's like, no, we can't treat the disease. You know, especially with autoimmune disorders, but we can in those situations. It's often like. But we're really good at managing the symptoms. Yeah. You know, or even someone going through chemo, like we're really good at managing the symptoms of chemo. Mm. You know, it can be, uh, um, you know, it doesn't have to be exclusive. It can uh, work with your Western treatment. You right. Know? Do you find you need? I know you're you're still in class, but do you find you need the patients, the patient to be bought in, like positive attitude and agree that this is going to work rather than kind of a, oh, I'm just here mm. because someone told me to or something. I don't know. It helps. Yeah. I think uh, I, to a degree it does require participation on, on the on the, the patient. And especially, you know, it's not just treatments, but it's also like advice, like lifestyle advice, diet advice, um, uh, 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 I think they call it the four free medicines of Chinese medicine. It's like, you know, I could not give you any needles and anything, but I can still give you a treatment by giving you advice in these under these four um, free medicines, which is like, I think it's lifestyle, exercise. Um, shit, I wish I could pull it up in my head right now. Uh, let me Google it. See if I can find it. <laughs> you got the master of the Google right now. Yeah, you gotta exactly. write that question. Uh, uh, yeah, you know what's so funny is I, I I take all my notes for Chinese medicine in Sublime. Like I take my oh, notes really? in a code yep, editor. I know Sublime. Just because my hands are used to editing text in in Sublime. Like if when I, as soon as I moved over to like Google Docs, like take notes, I was like, this is strange. <laughs> also, I don't, I don't want to make all these choices about formatting. Like I don't want to decide to bold something. You know what I mean? Sure. So instead, I what I ended up doing is I came up with my own uh, syntax highlighting definition file in Sublime. Oh, that's awesome. And so it, it automatically highlights a bunch of these Chinese medicine words, automatically highlights any acupuncture points so long as I formatted it a certain way. And then like and then like document formatting, it's kind of like I came up with my own markdown uh, language almost. Yeah. Um, but what I love about Sublime is how quickly it searches. Like the search function in Sublime is clutch. Yeah. And so like I'm... I've started to build all my Chinese medicine notes into in basically in just text files in Sublime, um, and it has made searching really, really quick. And like, uh, all my classmates are like, "Are you gonna package that and sell that, or <laughs> like, how can I buy this?" And I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, maybe there's." Yeah. A f-. And I was like, "Wait a minute. Am I gonna end up developing an?" Oh app no! For you're getting sucked back Chinese- in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, That's a good idea, though. That's cool. Yeah, it it's uh I I it kind of like had a notion early on that this would be a helpful way to do this and then it really kind of just I went through with it and I'm like oh this is working this is working. Mm-hmm. Um let's see here. Find it one more time here. Uh free. So I just opened up my notes. No, I don't know what the four things uh, are now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure as soon as I hang up, I'm going to be calling you. 
Well, we can shoot them over and we can uh, we can put it in yeah. the show notes for those of the people that want to yeah. know. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for taking the time today. It was, it was really a lot of fun, a lot of good content. and. Uh, oh, my pleasure, Nick. Thanks, thanks for having me. Thanks for reaching out. Yeah, absolutely. And good luck. My first time doing anything kind of like this is kind of cool. Yeah, it was, it was it was cool. It was a great conversation. And um, I can't wait to hear how the school goes. And once you're a real acupuncturist, maybe we can get you on and we can uh, talk about all the goodness you're doing. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Strangers in a Small World. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and send a review on your favorite podcast listener. If you want to reach out to us, check us out on Twitter at Strangers in a Pod, on Instagram at Strangers in a Small World, or go straight to our website and hit us up at www.strangersinasmallworld.com. On the website, you can find information on the show as well as links to everything we talked about in today's conversation. Thanks again for listening, and remember, although we may be strangers, we all live together in this small world.